You are tuned in to CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio. And in studio tonight, you have Brennan and Jody and Dave. We will hear from Craig and Hank a little later. And we have a special guest on this week. I had the opportunity to speak with Steve Boyd about a really cool event that is coming up on October 15th, Sask Assemble. It is a comic convention that actually focuses on comics of all things. So very, very excited about that. Uh, But we're gonna start with, as promised, Brennan went and saw Clerks 3. So what's the verdict? All right. Well, before I start, I mean, I just need to uh, admit my bias. I'm a huge chemist fan, and I have been since the original Clerks. You know, I have all the Clerks stuff on DVD. I have the animated series. I have all the movies I could get out there. And when Jay and Silent Bob reboot came out, I was not a big fan the first time I saw it. Um, And it took me a few times of watching for it to really grow on me. So I heard he was finally making Clerks 3. I was excited, but I was also a little bit trepidatious (laughs) because Reboot wasn't that great. And for me not to like it, that's saying quite a bit. So Clerks 3 stars the original cast of Clerks. So we have uh, Breno Halloran as Dante, Jeff Anderson as Randall Graves, um, Rosario Dawson comes back as uh, Becky Scott from Clerks 2. Trevor Furman, also from Clerks 2, as Elias Grover. And, of course, we have Jason Mews and as Jay and Kevin Smith as Silent Bob. And the premise of the movie this time is that uh, Randall has a major heart attack. And, uh, you know, basically, is you, you had a Widowmaker, you're lucky you lived. And now that he's alive, he decides he needs to make a better use of his time on Earth. And he decides to make a movie. And, of course, the movie he makes is based on his own life. And so the movie he happens to write is a remake of Clerks, right? So we get this really neat meta, like meta awareness because he's filming the movie of his life. And when they actually show them filming the movie, they're recreating scenes from Clerks. Um, and that was my favorite part of the movie, but we'll go back to that. Um, this is based on real things that happened to Kevin Smith. So anyone that knows Kevin Smith knows that he did have a massive heart attack called The Widowmaker. And that he was lucky he survived. The doctor commented on how calm he was. And he said, well, that's because I smoked a lot of marijuana that day. And so basically that saved his life. The original version of Clerks 3 was going to be a lot darker, but then Kevin Smith thought, you know, I've loved these characters for so long. They've done so much for me. I should give them a better send off than the original script. And then he found out some fans actually went and made a shot by shot remake of the original Clerks. So that actually inspired him to write that into Clerks 3. So he took these um, two big events in his life, his heart attack, these fans making a movie, and based that around Clerks 3. Overall, I liked it after the second viewing. I saw it twice in two days, just to make sure I'd have the right judgment for it. The first time I saw it, the first third, like the first acts, I felt like the uh, story arc just wasn't developing in a way. It seemed that I liked. it seemed kind of long, it seemed kind of forced. As the movie went on, that got better. And there's some psych gigs for that character that I quite liked. But the first time I saw it, I couldn't put my finger on what it was at the beginning of the movie that was irking me so much. And about halfway through the movie, I figured out. Clerks 3 has way too much music underscore in it. This also happened with Doctor Strange. And whenever that happens, I always feel like the director or editor is afraid that you're not going to feel the right feelings. So let's make sure there's always music underneath to you know, trick the audience into having the right emotional response, right? 
because Clerks 3, I mean, the original Clerks had music at, you know, between segue scenes and it had that pacing of being slower and longer. The times it was silent, it was way better. The second time I watched it, I actually imagined the first act with the music out in certain places. Like I, I did the editing in my head and it was much better. <laughs> so you have to ignore the music a little bit. And it's partly because it starts, the music for the beginning of the scene and the segue is really good. And then it's happening throughout the whole scene. And by the end of the scene, something else is happening, but it's the same music. So it's like sometimes the music doesn't tie up to what's happening the whole scene all the way through. I know that seems like a picky point, but it really bothered me. But when they get to the part that Randall starts making the movie, uh, that's when Clerks 3 really hits its stride. Watching the original cast remake their own scenes and refilm them was really interesting to see. Um, and again, they're talking about writing this movie. And so they're referring to the movies that they made, but for them it was real life, but for us it's a movie. So we get this neat fourth wall, not fourth wall breaking, but you know, this really cool like meta awareness that I quite liked. It's very sentimental and it's actually very endearing how like how much uh, emotion and feeling you get about these characters. Now keep in mind, in a way, Kevin Smith is making a love letter to himself in a certain way because it's based on his movies. The idea was, he even said this on his podcast and things, I really want to make a movie that was worthy of my characters. I want to give them you know, something they deserved for making me the success that I am today. So once it gets to the part where Reynolds makes his movie, uh, that part really sat well. The pacing was good. The performances were what you would expect. There's even spots that go way more dramatic than you would expect it to be, which I quite liked. He even does some Easter eggs where he makes reference to the animated series, which I liked, and which I talked about last week on Punch Radio. So go check that episode out if you haven't already. Most of them land. There was one that didn't quite land. I don't want to spoil it in case you haven't seen it yet. Because in the animated series, the joke kept repeating. It happened, right? Repetition in comedy is gold if it's done right. This one joke happened once, so it seemed kind of out of place. Now, if you knew the animated series, you would have thought it was pretty clever. But if you didn't, it was just sort of like a random detail that didn't seem to fit. Overall, I quite enjoyed Clerks 3. Like I said, the back half of the movie, the first time, completely saved it because at the beginning I was like I don't know if I'm, if I'm into this so much but the second viewing what I had the pacing down better and again in my mind I did the sound cueing for Kevin Smith it was much better so you know uh, like hats off for Kevin Smith for making a good Clerks movie considering James Hound Bob reboot was not that good but overall I, I liked it I'll give it a couple more viewings until I really have a, a really really great review um, but yeah, I thought it was great. Like I said, the back half is really good. Uh, save the movie. And it was a, a nice way to send off these characters. Because I think I think after this, he's... You know, James Holland Bob, I'm sure, might keep reappearing in things. But I think the actual clerk canon cast is... Uh, I think they finally got their retirement that they probably deserve. So uh, go, go check it out. If you haven't seen Clerks, you would probably still enjoy it. Because you, you're not quite sure what you're getting into. But there's enough reference there that you can follow along. So... There you go. Go see it now while still in the theater, even though they only had three showings last week. And I'm not even sure it's back in the theater. Like it was one of those things. It premiered on a Wednesday. It played on a Thursday, Friday. It didn't play at all on the weekend. And then came back for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with only one showing. So I'm not sure what that was about. So it might even be out of theaters by the time this airs. But if it's in, go check it out. Because you'll probably see me. I'll probably go see it again just to get... Get my movie theater time in. All right. That sounds awesome. So 
check that one out. Okay, so we're gonna throw things over to Hank and Craig. They're they want to talk about blonde and uh, a little bit about the rating system, which is always contentious, especially in the United States. So take it away, fellas. Hey everybody, Craig Sillifan here for Punch Radio on CFCR. 90.5 FM, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, Hank Cruz! Yay! Cruz! Cruz! See, I was kind of do like a cruise ship horn with the name okay. Cruz in there. Uh, okay, I thought it was like a moose or something, but... Well, we could do that, too. But you know what? I'm You're never going to see me on a cruise ship, because uh, there's no food regulations there. It's like everybody gets sick. You know? People also fall off those things into the ocean do. all the time, and it's kind of this, like, well-kept secret. Uh, I've read a few articles about it. It's very interesting. Uh, and it's in, like, international waters, so, like you'll pull into port and the police will be like, Hey, where's this person? And be, I don't know. She fell off somewhere. And then they'll be like, all right, I guess she's gone then. Like, that's literally like, I've read tons of articles about that. Uh, Cause I anyway. know also like, uh, I haven't been to a hotel that's got a morgue. So, you know, like I'll stick with being on land in a hotel. I don't want to go to a cruise ship, but there's a morgue on it. Like, come yeah. on. No, too. No, not, not good. Uh, no cruises. Okay. No, okay. So we got a few things uh, to talk about today, and one of the things we want to talk about is a streaming show on Netflix uh, called Blonde. It uh, was uh, written and directed by Andrew Dominic, uh, who is a fairly, a really awesome director, actually, but often his movies are uh, underrated uh, or just, you know, less seen. I mean, uh, he made that movie Killing Me Softly, uh, which I think is fairly underrated. It's not perfect, but it's fairly underrated. Uh, and then, of course, he made uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, I think that one's called. The movie Blonde is based on the novel of the same name by Joyce Carol Oates, uh, which won the Pulitzer Prize, I think, uh, in around uh, 2000. But it's a fictionalized take on the life and career of Marilyn Monroe, who's played by uh, Anna de Armas uh, in this movie. Uh, the cast also includes uh, Adrian Brody, Bobby Cannavale, uh, Julianne Nicholson, uh, among other people. So this movie is, I think it's fair to say, like it's the book itself was also pretty controversial. Uh, this is not the uh, really pleasant you know, rise and fall of Marilyn Monroe that you may uh, think you're kind of in for. Uh, I think, I'll just say it right off the top. I think it's probably one of the, if not the best movie of the year I've seen so far. However, I also have a big problem recommending it to most people. Uh, it's almost three hours long and it's definitely like harrowing, controversial. I think one of the most interesting things about it is that it's either one of the most feminist movies ever made or it's super misogynist and exploitive. Uh, I think I lean more towards the feminist side of it, uh, knowing the directors and the writers intentions and everything like that. But I could totally understand if somebody was like, no, this is too exploitive. And uh, it, it really exploits a lot of her physical trauma, uh, or at least that, you know, that's the argument you could raise about it. Uh, I would say it's almost like it, it borders on like uh, body horror in parts. Like it's, it's uh, it really reminded me of, Terrence Malik's Tree of Life. It's kind of impressionistic in that way, where you just sort of see these scenes and flashes of her life. But that said, uh, even the fact that this is, and people should keep this in mind, they're treating it like it's a biography of her. And why didn't they focus on this? It's like, no, this isn't even really a story about Marilyn. It's a story about the unloved 
in all of us, like, or if anybody feels that they were unloved for some reason, like that's really what she's a metaphor for here. And I don't know why they chose to make it Marilyn and not just some like, you know, a fictional character. But uh, I would say too, that even in a movie that has such heavy fictionalization, such as this, there's more truth in this movie uh, at least metaphorically, but even in certain, you know, situations that really did happen to her that are true in the movie, than there is in a thousand Bohemian Rhapsodies. So, you know, I'd rather see a, a biopic like this, even if it's not really a true biopic, uh, but just an interesting story told well, than a thousand, you know, Bohemian Rhapsodies. What did you think, Hank? I uh, would say for everybody that if you go into the movie knowing that it's an artsy movie about and exactly what you said about it does it didn't have to be Marilyn like I know they wanted an iconic character in there that everybody would go oh Marilyn watch it it could have been about anybody but go into knowing it's not some biography about uh, Marilyn Monroe so once you know that some of the stuff in there is not true or we don't know if it is or not and know that it's like an artsy film that really if you're not into that kind of movie you're gonna hate it yeah because I uh, like other than you, I can't think of another person off the top of my head that I would go. You need to see this movie. Right. I know a lot of people that I told you don't don't watch the movie. Don't bother, like yeah. really, it's like it's like in the end, yes, it has to do with Marilyn Monroe, but it's not like it's not what you think it's going to be. I it's, love. It's kind of like getting mad because they uh, in Inglorious Bastards that never really happened to Hitler. Like yeah. But you're like but that that's not the point like it's like we're just showing the show like what happens to you know some people and, and like, like mental health uh getting taken advantage of and and hollywood in general where totally. it's and how uh but the movie was amazing the one issue i had throughout the movie was that her accent would creep in there once in a while right because she's but like also Colombian or something isn't she because uh cuban she's cuban, from cuba yeah. and so the um other thing though is that they made a point a few times to go like and say things that like weren't true just to have it work with the movie so then i'm like what also shows like like no this isn't marilyn monroe this is an actress you know playing because she looks so much like her and they did a good job there but with the accent slipping i'm like oh it almost took me out of the movie but also yeah it's okay to have it in there a couple times ago it's like okay this isn't like a buy this isn't marilyn like this is just a movie right um the, the runtime, normally I'd go, oh, you got to cut an hour out of that. No, I think the runtime was fine. Um, yeah, you could have cut 10 or 15 minutes out of there, but uh, no, three hours did it right. I would recommend it for anybody that likes movies like this, uh, but it is very jarring, uh, very alarming, uh, emotionally distressing. And uh, But yeah, I would give it probably, a, I don't know, I haven't decided yet, but somewhere between it, about an 89 and a 91, somewhere in there. The internet is still, like Rotten Tomatoes has got it like at a 30-some percent. It's like, well... They, I don't think they saw the same movie we did. Yeah, so. Letterbox is like 2.2% or some, or 2.2 yeah. out of 5. I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. The filmmaking on display is just like epically brilliant too. Like even if you hate the movie, you, know, you can't deny that like the, the filmmaking is, is just insane. It's incredible. Uh, the score is really good too. Nick Cave and Warren Ellis uh, uh, did the score, fellow uh, Andrew Dominic's from Australia. So I think he's worked with Nick Cave a few times too. Uh, who's also Australian on some of his uh, more recent uh, releases that, that he's had. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Uh, now I know uh, we got a few minutes left here. 
So I guess we're saying like, take it with a grain of salt. It's a brilliant movie, but like it might not. Yeah, be but just know what you're movie. getting into. But I that know it's not going to be a popcorn movie. Woo! Yeah, Marilyn Monroe. All right, let's see. No, no. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones that's going to disturb you and rattle around in your brain for days after, and you may hate it. I loved it, but I know you wanted to talk about the ratings a little bit. Oh, about a minute so uh, speaking of Blonde, uh, it was rated NC-17. Uh, which in the States means that no one under the age of 18 is allowed to see this film. And so I'm geared up to be like, oh man, like, what is this going to be? And at the end of the movie, I'm like, okay, so where did the NC-17 part come in? So I go and I read and it's for a nudity. Um, and you see a Marilyn Monroe topless n- numerous times. Uh, so there was some language in there. And then they were talking about, there's a few scenes where uh, that involves, uh, I, again, I don't, I think this is a spoiler, and if you're watching this movie, you should know what you're getting into. A few scenes um, uh, involving an abortion, yeah. and a few scenes involving uh, rape. Yeah. And even there, like, even see the abortion scenes, I hope that the NC-17 was put on there because of the emotional impact of it. Because it wasn't, like, you don't see, like, it's not graphic showing anything. It's, like, very artistic, the way that it's done, and it's not, like... And so I'm confused on the NC-17. I could see an 18A, but you're uh, saying that a six, a 17-year-old couldn't handle it? Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, I'd agree with you there. I mean, I think there were, maybe there's some pieces that are like, uh, I mean, I don't want to give too much away or be too graphic on the radio here, but there was one scene where you, let's just say you see inside her birth canal, like the camera yeah. is in the birth canal. Uh, so some of that stuff I could see being like, like I said, I was like some of it's body horror even, but uh, could be. And so I, uh, I got angry and like, it's just another thing where in America, it's like it involves anything involving nudity or anything. You get a hard rating, but if it's like gun violence, oh yeah, kids can watch. Oh it's yeah, fun. for sure. Um, so then we watched Dahmer, uh, and then Dahmer, what I saw in that was like, and that was an NC-17? Like, you've yeah, got to be kidding me. But then Dahmer. I just want to uh, let everybody know uh, that I told this to. I was wrong again. I've been wrong about a couple things. So TVMA in the States is equivalent to a movie theater's NC-17, where it's not recommended that anybody under the age of 18 watches this. So anything that says TVMA, it's equivalent to an NC-17. So Dahmer, when it says TVMA, uh, okay, they are saying that uh, you shouldn't be watching it if you're under 18. So right, I'm like, yeah. oh, But I don't think the NC-17 shouldn't be busted out right away. Like, come on. Come no, on. and we're out of time here, but I would, I, I want to quickly say that the NC-17 thing is going to be a game changer because you can't go see that movie in the theater if you're that age, but you can see it on Netflix at home. So uh, we'll see what that does to movies. But we uh, will have to crack that open another time because we've got to throw back oh, to yeah. here. So uh, watch Blonde or Don't. Yeah. Okay. So we have a little time left and we want to talk about the new Nick Kroll stand-up, uh, which is on Netflix. It premiered last week called Little Big Boy. Now, when we saw that there was a new Nick Kroll show, I was really excited because we loved his sketchcom, which was on from 2013 to 2015. So many incredible, memorable characters. So funny. Total awesome cast. Jenny Slate, Jason Mansukas, John Mulaney, Bill Burr, Seth Morris. An awesome show. But this is stand-up, and it is very intimate. Yeah, I was disappointed for about two minutes when I realized it wasn't scripted sketch comedy because that's how we fell in love with this guy. But it is a good hour of stand-up. 
which is kind of saying a lot these days because to do stand up like you know there are certain subjects that you either have to stay away from or Dave Chappelle Ricky Gervais style just drive right into them and Nick Kroll doesn't really do either um, he relies on a lot of personal anecdotes a lot of gastrointestinal dysfunction and yeah, really, he stays away from anything political, anything involving pop culture, um, and does just kind of an autobiographical hour. It's lovely. And if you don't love him when you start, you will love him when it's over because he really opens up as a human being and it's lovely and funny. It's really funny. And his physical comedy is excellent. So if you have an opportunity and you have Netflix, please check this out. But also check out the Nick Kroll show. I don't think that show is easy to watch. You might have to go digging around for it a little bit, but um, the scripted sketch stuff is genius. Yeah, if you can find it, it's awesome. Okay, so I had a really cool opportunity to talk to somebody who's doing something special in our city. Steve Boyd is coordinating a Comic-Con and it is coming up on October 15th. So you definitely want to put that on your calendar like right now so you're ready for it. Here we are with Steve Boyd. So welcome, Steve. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Um, so why did you want to start your own Comic-Con? Uh, I'm crazy. <laughs> no, I, you know, I have, I, I've always been into comics and toys and um, my, uh, my parents were very supportive, took me to my first convention when I was 12 uh, in Atlanta. I, I don't know if you can tell or not. I'm from the U.S. So uh, I I loved it. And I knew from that day on I wanted to do something with comic books. And fast forward 35 years later, I still collect and I do other things uh, involving comics and everything. But uh, I decided, you know, after the pandemic, I would, I, I've always wanted to do my own show. So I'm just taking a chance and, and seeing how it goes. Now, what I particularly love about this show is that it's about comics. Like the entertainment expos are great and they have something for everybody. But I find that like what I'm most interested in is going through the bins and talking to other like comic fans. And there aren't that many of those at some of those big, big shows. Right. So this is really focused, isn't it? Yeah, it, I, I call it collector driven. Uh, and there's, like you said, there's nothing wrong with those other shows. I've, I go to them myself and I've been to conventions all over the U S and Canada. And I've tried to incorporate the things that I would enjoy about them. Um, and I'm really trying, I know there's a, a, a tight knit community of collectors here. Um, just, I moved here, you know, five years ago and I, I want to do something that focuses more on bringing the collectors together not just for comic books but also action figures and things like that and i'm the same way i love to i love to dive through dollar boxes and back issues and stuff so uh yeah this is this is um not meant to compete with anything like that but meant to just focus a little bit more on uh the things that i would enjoy having a show you know and, and bringing it to other people yeah, it's so important to have that sense of community around yeah. the things that you love to do. Yeah. So what can a person expect to see at this show? Well, you can expect to pay $5 to get in. Woo! Unless you're, yeah, <laughs> unless you're, uh, you know, uh, you have kids 12 and under, get in free with an adult admission. Um, we're just going to have uh, some local comic book vendors here. Amazing stories. You guys are awesome. And <laughs> you guys are one of the sponsors of the show. Uh, Quentin's on 8th uh, is also a sponsor. Uh, the website ComicCollectorLive.com is also a sponsor. Uh, and Sask Joe's, uh, actually, you may not know this or not, but one of the largest uh, 
I would I would dare say in Canada, but definitely in the province, one of the largest GI Joe fan collecting communities is based here in in Saskatoon, uh, and so Sask Joe's is one of the sponsors. So you can expect to see comic books. You can ex- uh, uh, old and new. You can expect to see action figures loose in the package. Uh, you know the if you're a fan of GI Joe, I'm sure the guys are going to bring out some awesome stuff for you to look at, and just if if you're a a fan and you're a collector, there's a little bit of, of something there for everybody. And we've got some local um, creators going to be coming by as kind of my first guest for my first show. We've got uh, Nathan Wall, the creator of Joe Zombie. Uh, he's amazing. He's awesome. Very cool. Um, Jeff Burton. Oh, yeah. 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 Aurora, Aurora Man. Man. Yes, he's going to be there. Um, there's a, a young lady named Audra Baleon. Ba- yep. I'm, I'm maybe destroying her last name. I apologize. But she's going to be there. Uh, yeah, and Redshift 7 Toys is going to be a part of it. Uh, it's just going to be really awesome. And it's not just people in Saskatoon. I've got some folks coming in from Regina, too, that are some, some comic book people. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. I always yeah. like the Regina Club and the Moose Jaw Club. I always have, like, lots of really good books in their back issues at, uh, like, Sask Expo, etc. Yes, so yeah. I'm always uh, looking forward to going yeah. through their bin, so I will definitely be there doing that. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's going to be a, a smaller, more intimate show, but it's got a lot of heart. So and trying to do something a little a little organized, a little professional, like you'd see at the big shows, but in a smaller venue. Cool. So where is the venue? What time is it at? What do people need to know to get there? Sask Assemble Comics and Collectibles Showcase is going to be held at the Sandman Hotel off of Lorne Avenue. There's two in town, but this one is the one off Lorne. Uh, it's from ten to four on Saturday, October fifteenth. Like I said, it's five dollars admission. Kids twelve and under get in free. We're doing hourly door prizes, mm-hmm. and uh, there's also a costume contest. So, we encourage you to. You're welcome to come in costume and and show it off and and just be a just be a part of the show. Okay, so you have a little over a week, people, to get your costume ready. So get on that, get sewing, get gluing, uh, so you can strut in style at this amazing event. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Thank you for having me on, Jody. I appreciate it. You are welcome. We'll see you at Sask Assemble. See you there. All right. right. Thank you, Steve. Uh, That wraps up Punch Radio for the week. You know where to find us here on CFCR every Friday at 6 p.m. And in the meantime, keep your dukes up.